This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Father, Lord, as I impart your word this morning, I ask, Lord, that you hide me into your cross, that you take away everything that is not you, Father, and that you truly be our center of hope. In your name, amen. So when we say Jesus is at the center of our hope, let me ask you, where did our hope begin? Any takers? Audience participation time. Come on, church, where did our hope begin? Say that again. On the cross. That's one of our hope. I would like to say that there's another answer. That is true, though. Where did our hope begin? Where? Heaven. Our hope began from the very beginning. Turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to do some flipping pages today. Pre-warning you, you got about 12. Just joking. (laughs) All right, Genesis chapter 1. Tell me when you get there. Say amen when you get there. Physical or, or, or digital Bibles. All right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and without and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering where? Over the face of the water. So we see here, here's creation. And it says that at creation, Who was present? God, the Holy Spirit, and although it doesn't say it in this verse, but I'll show you later on where it says it, that Jesus was also present. So this was a complete presence of the triune God at creation. So when God was present there, then our hope could have began there, but it, but it did not. And so we're going to look at three different places where it says that our hope began before the creation of the world. Turn with me to John. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 Verse 24, tell me when you get there. Amen. And it says, before the creation of the world, there was, that's not, I'm just saying, there was love. It says here, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of 
the world. So we see here that before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ proclaims that before all this, he even knew that he was loved. And how do we prove this? How do we prove this? Because he knows that he was loved, this means that before the beginning of time, this love transcended between not only Jesus, but his Father and the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And you know these verses, but I'm going to... Read them anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with chapter 4. And when I say love, we know that love is, love is God. And so when I say love, you say God, all right? So you can imbibe this, imbue this into yourself, all right? Beginning with verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. How does this make you feel? You make, it makes you feel loved. Are you convinced now that because of love, we have hope? Because of God, we have hope. This verse describes what and who God is right from the beginning and beyond. But let's go on. Before the creation of the world, this comes to its recipients. Now turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 5. Tell me when you're there. All right. It says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, underline every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the what? Foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love, shaving, having predestined us 
to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Isn't this an amazing passage? Because God looks and says, I'm going to see beyond, and these people, this kingdom, I'm going to create. Did you know what was going to happen in 2020? Did you know what was going to happen in 2021? Did you know what was going to happen now in 2022? But here it says that we, the recipients of God's love, of God's hope, was preordained before the foundation of the world. Doesn't this blow your mind? That he saw far back before time and space and ages, and he prepared this for us. He was thinking in love towards me. He was thinking in love towards you. But then, before the creation of the world, he also counted the cost. He also counted the cost. Turn with me to 1 Peter. First Peter 1, verses 18 to 19. Tell me when you're there. And he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, Think of this. Before the foundation of the world, he had a plan. He had a plan that was going to create a kingdom, his kingdom. There's a verse that says, I knew you before you were formed. I knew you before you were knitted in your mother's womb. From the depths of the earth you were formed, and I knew everything about you. So we can say, I knew God knew what we were going to do. But before all this, of course he wanted a perfect world. But he said, I want this, but I'm also going to give them free will. Because I don't want just subjects. I want subjects who worship me in love because they want to worship me. But if this doesn't happen the way that I would like this world to be, I have a plan. And the plan is to give my only begotten son. Can you imagine the conversation that happened in heaven? 
as God planned for his kingdom on earth. And he said, son, look at this. Holy Spirit, look at this. And this is what I want. But son, when mankind fails, I want you to go as a sacrifice. Will you do that for me? And in love, the son says yes. Does this blow your mind to think of this plan was so intricate from the very beginning that there is no way that we can doubt the love of God. There is no way that our hope can waver in him. But we were chosen. Each of us was chosen. Every single one of us, from the highest of the elect to the person who was committing crime after crime, we were each chosen to be the son and daughter of the Most High. And here comes the promise. Titus, turn with me to Titus. One, Titus one, one through four. And it says, oh, tell me when you're there. Amen. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. What does it say? In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandments of God, our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. There was a promise before anyone was around. A promise made from the Father to the Son, which involved eternal life. The promise was that if the Son would become the Lamb of God, the Father would grant eternal life to all who place their trust in Him. And God, who it says cannot, cannot lie, promised this before the beginning of time. His plan of salvation for simple mankind was predetermined. So now, let's look to Genesis 1.26. Now we know I've given you all the back, the back texts that show you of his plan before time. But in Genesis 1.26, you see the father was not alone here. In Genesis 1.26, it says... Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, etc. I want you to take a look at that first part. Let us. It did not say, let me, God. It does not say, let you, the Holy Spirit. It does not say, let you, Jesus, my son. It says, let us make man. So this was a decision and a relationship between the triune God. This was, God was saying, we are all in this together. All of our being, all of our images, the three of us is going to be present in every single one of our creation. So because God did not act alone, he acted with the Holy Spirit and the Son, this was a relationship that they had together. This from the very beginning, God called for relationship. Not just self, God called for relationship. So then now, we think about what happened with the fall, and you, you, you know this. There was such a relationship that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden. I imagine the talks that happened. But then one day, you know the story. They ate the fruit. And immediately they realized that they were, they realized that they were naked. And what did they do? Instead of facing the one who loved them, the one who created them, they did what? They ran and hid. Did God know what they were doing? Of course. And he's walking around the garden, Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? And there they are, hiding behind some bush. Now when I think about this, I think of my sons. If you were ever to come to my house, there is no knick-knack around. If there, is, if there is an ornamental figure, it's deep within a shelf. Because it gets broken. Five boys running around. But let me tell you, the first boy that used to break my knick-knacks was my husband. <laughs> because, you know, him and his big military self is just walking around the house and knocking stuff accidentally off of shelves. But then when my kids grew, and they knew how some things were really important to me, and then something would break, they knew that they were in trouble. So instead of coming to fess up to me, they would hide it. And I remember sometimes finding, and sometimes today still, when they know they've been in something that they shouldn't have been, and I'll look, and behind a shelf or under a box or something, I'll find the broken thing. And I'll be like, who did this? And they all look at each other like, well, I don't know. So they think they're not going to get punished, but everybody, everybody, you would think, you would think that if I say, all right, who's ever grounded, whoever did is going to be grounded. And so I guess they all take the fall for each other because nobody wants to fess up to who really did. Can you imagine, this is just an imagination, can you imagine what would have happened if Adam and Eve just came out? and said, Abba, Daddy, Father, we are so sorry. 
We love you. This is the relationship that we have with you. And this is what we did. Could you imagine how different that conversation would have been? But that's just an imagination, right? We know what happened. But even though, that, even though we knew, we know that there was a punishment, he did, not leave, he did not leave this enemy out. Turn with me to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. Here reveals the plan of salvation. And I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here he says, at the end of time, my son is going to come and he will crush you. And he said this in the presence of his children. The promise was made then. So if the promise is made then, then how much hope do we have even now? When we talk about relationships and, and trust, we think, well, well what, about, what about the things that have happened these last two years, three years, Pastor Jan? What about all the people who have gotten sick? Our church is smaller. People have died. What about that? What about the wars that are going on? I'm going to tell you, yes, but God is still in control. Because these things need to happen in order for him to come. And it's easy to think that everything's gone away, but just when you think the world is falling apart, this is when everything is falling into place. And we have to cling to the hope that if God has preordained us, pre-called us, that anything that he asks us, ask us to do, anywhere he asks us to go, he is going to walk with us. Whatever he asks us to do, he will provide for us. And he will help us to make it happen. In Daniel, we know the book of Daniel, Daniel 6, the decree came out. Right? The decree came out. Whomever bows to anyone but the king, whoever prays to anyone but the king will be thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel, after having had a relationship, let's underscore this, a relationship with God through all that he's gone through and all the earlier testing times, did not let this decree faze him. Even though he knew that there would be people spying on him and watching his every move, he made that trek three times a day and opened up his window to face Jerusalem and he prayed to God. Knowing that he was going to get caught. He didn't know that God was going to save him, but he was willing to put his life on the line because he had hope in the one who made him. It's called faith, yes. And so we know what happened. He gets thrown in and the, and the mouths are all shut. And he comes out to the utter unbelief of the king and given back his station. What kind of hope can we place when we see 
all these stories in the Bible that show us from the beginning the promise of God's and how others have walked in hope, knowing that God, their protector, would be with them all the way. But, so, hope also comes with, with relationship, and I've, I've told you this, with the relationship that is found between the triune God and the relationship that he wants with us, but it doesn't end there. We're looking at the relationship now that comes between us, the church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark. Mark 2. Mark 2, verses 1 through 8, and, and when you're there, tell me, amen. I'm going to read it to you. And again, he entered Capernaum, and after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? And then it says, the man took up his bed and walked. And I want to look at the four men who's seeing this is where relationship and community come in and hope abides, who see their friend suffering. Their friend can't get to where Jesus is. So they gather together to bring the friend to Jesus, but there's no way to get in there, but they're so determined to get their friend healed because they know that Jesus can heal, and they break the roof of the house that was not theirs. They break the roof of this guy's house. They lower him down. And see, in this place, this could never have happened without the community that surrounded this man. Without the community that was willing to take their sick friend and physically break a roof and bring him to Jesus. And God saw these efforts. Jesus saw these efforts. But instead of only just healing the physical part, because that's what Jesus did, he looks to the inside and he heals from the inside. Because you can be healed as much as you can from the outside, but if your inside is rotten to the core, you are not healed. And this is the hope that these men saw. Church, in order to have hope, we need relationship with each other. We need to be willing to bring each other to the throne of God. I'm not just talking about in prayer. I am talking about physically asking the person next to you, what do you need and how can I help you? I had this conversation. I got permission to tell this. I 
A few days ago, I, I was trying to plan for a Jesus at the Center, and I called a member of ours with a specific question. This member answered, and of course, as, as we do, as those who have spoken to me know, that after each conversation, I will what with you? I'll pray with you. And I said to this, to this member, all right, let me pray with you. And they said, okay, and I prayed. And at the end of that prayer, they said, thank you, Pastor Jen. Do you know that you are the first pastor in all the years that I've been here at Plantation to pray over me? I'm, so, I'm sorry, what, what did you say? You're the first pastor, and I've been here a long time. I've been here probably 15 years. You're the first pastor to offer a prayer over me. And you know what, church? That gutted me. Because this is my passion, to let you know the love of Jesus and to hear that this person has never been prayed over. It not only speaks to, you made me ask, what are we doing? But it makes me ask, what is everyone else doing? Because then I said, I am so sorry. But this is, uh, it's hard for me to believe. You know, your, your family's so involved in the church. Your, your spouse, you both are involved. And this person said, you know, I can be standing there while people come up and talk and ask questions to my spouse. And I am totally ignored as if I was never there. That hurts. That hurts to hear. But I needed to hear it. Because it shows the condition of all of us. Not only myself as a pastor, but all of us. It makes me question, what are we doing in relationship to one another? Are we giving each other hope? Not just through prayer, because it's easy to say, hey man, yes, I'll pray for you. But prayer does nothing without action. What are we doing? Do we have a relationship with God and with each other that we can take a brother and break down a house in order for him to receive healing? Do we have that? God is calling you into a relationship with him. I'm going to even say this. We have a tendency to be fake. A big tendency to have a mask. And at the front of that door we say, happy Sabbath. But really for some it is not a happy Sabbath. And I did a test one one day, not here, but in another state that I lived, and the usher was there, and they said, happy Sabbath, Jen. And I said, actually, it's not. I failed this test, and this happened. I don't have food. And they're like, okay, well, happy Sabbath. <laughs> We're so conditioned to say happy Sabbath and have a mask on, and those who are receiving it are so conditioned to not share because we do not know who's going to care. And God is calling us to drop the mask. God is saying, 
your time here is short. What are you going to do? Don't be like my husband. And yes, I'm going to throw him under the bus one more time. Don't be like my husband who has two holes in his feet. And before that, when I see them swelling up, I'm like, yo, honey, those are, I think those are infected. He goes, ah, we're good. I got Jesus. Now, if he had gone before that, he wouldn't have two holes in his feet. And I remember when we were dating and I went to England for the first time. And, of course, I was going to be gone for four months until Christmas break. And we were all like, oh, you know, I'm not going to see you, whatever. I remember as we were, as he was leaving, I remember I stood at the doorstep and he's driving by and he's like, I love you. Because he wasn't going to see me. But then, so he wasn't going to see me because he was going to be assigned to the field and he wouldn't be around to see my plane off. He was going to be assigned to the a field duty for two or three weeks. And upon the first or second day that he was assigned field duty, he did something. He was cocking a weapon or something and slammed on a rock and it popped out his pinky. But because he was conditioned, the military says, suck it up. Because he was conditioned to say, I'm good, I'm all right. It took the whole training exercise while his colleagues were around him who saw the pop, who saw the kind of finger kind of at a weird angle. It's his sergeant who goes, let me, let me, let, 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 let me see that. And, and he, he, they kind of popped it back into place and he was released from his duties so he was able to see me. But that wasn't the plan. You know, he didn't have that plan. But this, he would have gone through it. He would have gone through with the pain to go on with the duty. And this is what we are all conditioned to do. To keep on going through the pain, to hide and to tell everybody we are okay when we are breaking up inside. And God is calling you now. I not only want a relationship with you, I want you to have a relationship with others so that they can see the hope of me. God's plan isn't, mean, isn't meaningless or random. And we find people taking their lives because life, they say, is random. Or we find people dying without any, without any reason. I have a friend, a colleague, pastor, who's on the West Coast, whose daughter took her life. We know of our dear brother Tim whose son was killed tragically. And we wonder why. We wonder why do these things happen? But God says that even though these things are happening, I still have a purpose. I still have a purpose for life. And sometimes God plans, offers death so we can see the hope of what he has. Sometimes we have to go through death in order to know that we are going to be reunited, in order to know that God is still working, he's still on the throne. And sometimes God's plan is so veiled and we don't understand why there's no control, but God has all the control because these things he's allowing to happen so he can come. And you ask... How do you know, Pastor Jen, 
How do you know? How do you have this hope? I have this hope because he saved me as a 26-year-old, two-and-a-half, 26-month, two-pound baby and brought me to life. I have this hope because he, we were told that we never have kids because of his cancer, and we have five. I have this hope because I have seen and we have lived without an income and God has still provided. And he said, if I call you, I'm going to provide. And he has. I have this hope because when I look at my bank account, it's empty and I see the GMA tuition bill that I still have several thousands of dollars for. I know that God is going to double his efforts, my efforts, because he says I want my kids to have a Christian education and that will be taken care of. I have this hope because even though I've lost my sister and my father because I know and I still grieve, I know that Jesus is coming soon and I will be reunited. I have this hope. Do you have this hope? There's a song that I'd like Nikki to put up on the screen and that you all know. And it's funny, you know, as a kid, and even sometimes now, I, I make fun of it because of sometimes how it's sung. But as I was telling my husband about my sermon, he just started going, you know, and sometimes his off-key voice, he started going, and I'm like, what, what are you singing? Oh, hold on, honey, hold on. And he puts it up. But truly, we do have this hope. Nikki, put it on. I'm going to lead you into it. And sometimes we may look at these verses and, wow, that's an old hymn. But then when we remember how our parents sung it, they sung it with gusto because they have this hope. Let's sing it. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the promise of his word. We believe the time is here. When the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing, hallelujah, Christ is King. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Psalms 33 says, 33:20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have entrusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. So I'm going to ask you now, are you without hope? Do you need God to remind you of who he is? Do you need a reminder of how great he is? Do you need your marriage fixed, your relationship fixed, 
your bank account to be taken care of? Do you believe that our hope in Jesus will cover all of this? Let us pray, Father God. We, your children, are suffering through so many things, Father, but you see and you know all and you sit on that throne and you are still reigning, God, because you are king. And Lord, we have this hope because even in our sickness, we know that you are the great physician. Even in our empty bank accounts, we know that you own the bank of heaven. Father, even our, in our broken relationships, we know that you are the creator of relationships. Father, even in death, we know that you sent your son, God, to cover us and give us salvation as long as we just take it. Father, let us have this hope in you. If there's any one of us right now who is doubtful of the hope that you have, Father, touch down upon us. Remind us, Father, of how you provided for us in the past, how you preordained us and pre-called us and knew who we were and knitted us in the womb. And because you have done that, God, we know that we have a future that is ripe in you. Lord, let us take this hope and take it and spread it to all the world so that you can come now. Thank you, Father, for this hope in you. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seven-Day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.